What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Season Gaming Bitcast. Today, we're going to be doing episode 23. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man, uh, God of War, Ghost Recon, uh, No Man's Sky is back in the news, Dragon Quest, Resident Evil, and a whole lot of uh, other game-related news, including some updates from PAX East, which is occurring right now up in Boston. So, I'm Ains. I'm joined by usual as Bert. And we're going to kick off with Spider-Man, as it seemingly was the biggest topic of the week. So Game Informer's uh, coverage this month uh, was Spider-Man. And so they've posted some exclusive footage and news over the past few days, including that the game will be released on September 7th, which is funny enough, a week just before Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So September is already filling up with AAA releases. Um, and they've shown a lot of footage of the game, which has uh, kind of set the uh, internet ablaze because it looks quite good. Uh, looks to be a, a you know more advanced, maybe even more fluid version of what Sunset Overdrive played like. So um, I'm not personally a huge Spider-Man fan, but I think the game looks great. Uh, Bird, I know this is more up your alley being the comic book guy. So what are your thoughts on it, what you've seen so far? Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about um, the announcement of the way it looks. To your point about Sunset Overdrive, I love that game. Um, a lot of the comments that I saw is that Spider-Man looked awesome flying through the city on his web and everything, so that's kind of cool. I think we haven't seen a really, really good Spider-Man game since the old, uh, I think, Spider-Man 2, which was even on the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2 and all those older titles. So it's been a long time since we've seen a really good title. I'm a huge fan of the Arkham games, and a lot of people have been kind of mentioning that it plays a lot like that when you're not swinging around, and also has like an uncharted feeling to it. So kind of when you put that all together, I'm pretty excited about it. I uh, was kind of cautious that it was not going to be coming out in June. We were kind of talking about it and joking that we wouldn't see it in June. That was just a placeholder, and it turns out that it was. So looks cool. Um, we'll see when it finally comes out. Yeah, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not nearly as excited as some people seem to be. Some people seem to be kind of blown away and talking about it in Game of the Year terms. But um, I think that's just because I'm not, like I said, a huge comic fan. But I think the game looks really good. Uh, Insomniac Games is a great company, so always support what they do. I don't know if it's one I'll be buying on day one. I have, you know, the collector's edition looks pretty cool for it. So I, I may pick that up as usual. But if not, I may wait a little bit until it gets a little bit cheaper, especially with Tomb Raider the week afterwards because i'm a much bigger fan of that franchise so and i know i'll be buying that one on day one but i think between uh you know uh spider-man and what we're seeing out of god of war and shadow of the tomb raider you know we're starting to see the titles really push the uh the updated consoles the pro and the xbox one x to their limit um and i think we'll see obviously a little more of the xbox one x as time goes on given the hardware specs but uh, these games are just looking fantastic. So uh, I hope they nail the combat. I hope they nail the city traversal in Spider-Man. I know that they did say that uh, the city is supposedly about three times as large as Sunset Overdrive. And Sunset Overdrive was a pretty big game. So that's uh, I thought that was impressive. But um, they also mentioned that there will be no microtransactions. So there's no additional things you have to purchase in the game. And there will be plenty of unlockables, including some of the... Uh, Custom kind, not custom, excuse me, but some of the um, comic variant type uh, outfits for for Spidey as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, the last thing I'll mention about it is one of the things that made the Batman game so well is how they meshed all the villains into the story and how it all worked um, with everybody mixing in. I would say that Spider-Man probably has the best villains on the Marvel side of, of comics. So when you add that in, if they do that and weave that in really well into the story, it's going to be another Arkham type maybe trilogy or series of games that kind of comes out. So they have a good chance of doing something really good here. We haven't seen a ton of what the story is about. We've seen kind of a cameo of one of his main villains. 
And uh, the main villain is not a very big Spider-Man villain, so I have a feeling he's going to be just kind of an intro villain that kind of kicks off the story. We'll see what happens. As we, as I just mentioned, we don't know much about it outside of a few just stuff that we've seen in the trailer, but the developer hasn't really said too much about the exact story, but I'm looking forward to it. It looks cool. Um, I will be picking it up um, at purchase of uh, launch day, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm sure you just angered a whole bunch of people by saying that it has the best villains in the Marvel Universe. So a whole bunch of people screaming and disagreeing with you right now, I'm sure. But <laughs> I can always piss off comic people. <laughs> um, so Crash Bandicoot was a huge uh, release last year. Really sold well on the PlayStation 4. Um, I think you know much better than Activision had initially uh, thought it would. And because of that, they mentioned that more classics will be returning. Um, so Crash is coming to Xbox One now, as we know. And just this week, we found out that Spyro is going to return as well. So the original trilogy is being remastered. It's going to be coming to the Xbox One, PS4, and eventually the Switch. Though they said that the Xbox One and PS4 are coming in September. The Switch release date wasn't given just yet. But um, this is pretty neat as well. It seems to be kind of the, um, you know, the mascot platformer type games are coming back that we grew up with in, say, the 90s, uh, you know, the early PlayStation era. And uh, it's the original trilogy. So that's that's pretty neat as well. I was never a huge fan of Spyro back in the day, but, um, you know, it looks gorgeous, this remaster. So I may end up checking it out for the first time. Yeah, funny enough, and another great coincidence is that I never played Spyro either. Um, I had seen the box art for it. I didn't really care for it at the time. I think at that time I was really into the whole adult nature of the PlayStation software that existed and kind of stuck to most of that while kind of pairing that up with Nintendo stuff. Um, so I never got to it, um, but to your point, it looks really good. Uh, social media is funny as always. They were complaining on the styling of the way Spyro is going to look compared to how he looked in the past and even in some recent software that he kind of had cameos in. So uh, it looks cool. Um, I'm not really going too nuts about it. I've, I'm kind of tired of remakes in general and remasters. So there's only a few that I'll play. Spyro is not one of them. If it gets stellar reviews, I might check them out. But I mean, they're replaying a game that a lot of people have played already. So I should be able to read up what exists already for it. Yeah, and it's coming September 21st, which is uh, kind of interesting because that means it's coming, you know, uh, directly after Spider-Man and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which are huge games that'll take a lot of people's time. So I don't know, you know, how many people are at that point are going to end up dropping it to get Spyro. But we'll see. There was a lot of positive feedback, uh, you know, kind of on social media about it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I still have my Crash and its wrapper. I haven't even played it yet. I need to. Um, so, I, like I said, remasters, remakes, I usually wait a while to play them um, when I have nothing else new to play, or at least something that I didn't love back in the day. So we'll see if I pick this up at launch or not. Yeah, and, you know, with October right behind it, that makes it even tougher. So, you know, it's slotted in between a, a weird spot there, but we'll see. Uh, so No Man's Sky came out, believe it or not, uh, almost two years ago now, or over two years ago, excuse me. And um, it, uh, I don't think we need to kind of rehash everything that, that happened with No Man's Sky. But over the past kind of two years, Hello Games has been working constantly on it. All the updates to the game have been free. And they've really kind of, um, you know, expanded it to more of what I think people assumed the game was going to be at launch. Um, I had a really good time with it. I've played it on my PS4 quite a bit. I think I have upwards of, uh, you know, 80, 90 hours into it, um, surprisingly. And I enjoyed it for what it was. It wasn't, you know, a great from a gameplay perspective or depth, but it was really enjoyable to kind of lose yourself into it. So um, they have announced, Hello Games has announced that the next update 
is coming forward in summer. It's actually called No Man's Sky Next. Um, they haven't given any details other than it's going to be the biggest expansion for the game yet, which is a bold statement because the Atlas Rises expansion um, added not only you know single-player kind of story content, but also base building and a few other things. So that was a pretty large update uh, by itself. Uh, but also it's coming to the Xbox One, which is uh, neat to see. So finally, uh, Xbox-only uh, players will get to play it. And it's going to support 4K HDR 60 frames on the Xbox One X, which should be gorgeous because the game in uh, 4K on the PS4 Pro is uh, pretty stunning. It's got a really nice kind of light filter and some other effects that make the planets look really unique. So I'm actually kind of excited for this. I, I don't... Uh, I don't think I'm going to put another 100 hours into it, but um, I, I think I will pick it up for the Xbox to play on the X1X and uh, finally kind of check out the expansions that I never got to. I might just start fresh and see what the game is like with this new update as well. Yeah, I sadly don't have much to say about it. Um, I never played the original PlayStation 1. Um, it got so much bad press that it turned me off to the game in general. Usually when I see something that gets really bad press, I kind of stay away from it, um, as, as bad as this one is. So um, I'll see if I pick it up. Um, it, it sounds cool. I always like kind of the art design that was in it. And uh, if it's the complete game and kind of everything that it's turned into, I might give it a look, especially if it's got a true multiplayer aspect now. Is that something it actually has or doesn't? Yeah, so you can do multiplayer now. I mean, it's not a. It's kind of more of an exploration-based multiplayer, right? Um, not a story-based multiplayer, but uh, we'll see what they add with next. Who knows what's coming? Yeah, in that case, if it's if there's some co-op and people are on it, then I might check it out. Otherwise, I, I'm probably just take a look at it whenever it becomes like really cheap. But uh, we'll see. Looks 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 cool. That's all I can say. <laughs> so one of the um, game of the year kind of contenders in 2017 was Divinity: Original Sin 2, uh, which has only been on PC up until now. So. It was announced that um, Original Sin 2 is going to be coming to both of Xbox One and PlayStation 4 in August, which I think is fantastic. I actually uh, played the original on the Xbox One. It's a, a very kind of, I hate using the word kind of hardcore, old school, but that, that's essentially what it is. It's more of an in-depth, isometric role-playing game for people who used to love those you know, on the PC through the 80s, 90s, 2000s. Um, but it is uh, does look beautiful. Like I said, it got Game of the Year talk for the story being fantastic and just a lot of depth. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Since it's coming in August, I'll almost definitely pick it up at launch. And uh, I really hope uh, it supports the Xbox One X with some really um, you know high-end visuals and, and effects. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it looks amazing. Um, but as you joked with me, if you are not the hardcore or you don't like the deep experience that some of these RPG games offer, this may not be for you. And that's kind of where I'm kind of stuck on because it looks amazing. It looks like it plays amazing. Um, and all the features that existed on the PC side really interested me. But when it gets too deep and I get lost in simply upgrading something, I don't have as much fun with it anymore. So I will take a look at it. I'm not sure if I'll buy it, but it looks really cool. So another game that looks cool to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, you know, talking about Ubisoft, they've come up a lot lately in our discussions and Ghost Ro Recon Wildlands uh, got some more good news and they're going to be getting a second year of content, which is all going to be free. Uh, Ubisoft mentioned that this is going to consist of four what they call major content expansions, the first coming this month, I believe, uh, which adds some several maps to the Ghost War PvP mode and some other um, some other things to the game. Um, and then on top of that, they announced a new operation uh, similar to like what they did with the Predator um, operation is coming. 
And we're going to learn more about it on April 9th, but it's going to be called The Call, and it's going to be Splinter Cell based. So uh, I would expect, obviously, some stealth-like missions. Hopefully, they add some Splinter Cell-themed content. Uh, my kind of prediction right now, you know, given the rumors that we're going to see Splinter Cell at E3, is that they'll have this uh, operation maybe in late May through early June to kind of get, you know, the Splinter Cell hype building uh, right up until they announce, uh, you know, a new Splinter Cell IP and or uh, title in uh, at E3. So I think this is neat. You know, Wildlands is uh, a really good game and they continue to expand upon it like they've done their other games. So um, good news all around, really. Yeah, and it's like we talked in our last bitcast, I'm a massive Splinter Cell fan, so I can't wait to see what this is looking like um, from the Wildlands point of view. Um, we gave Wildlands a try, and we really enjoyed it a lot. It looks amazing on the uh, enhanced consoles, so we'll see how this plays out. I wonder how much Sam Fisher will actually be in the game as far as his mechanics and how his stealth movement and even the uh, famous goggles. So hopefully there's something there. Yeah, and I believe I read, I don't take this as um, confirmation, but I'm pretty sure I read that uh, Michael Ironside is doing the voiceover. So, wow, that's massive. Yeah, if that's the case, you know, I can't imagine they would bring him in just to do a voiceover for a small operation of Wildlands, right? I mean, it just further lends credibility to the rumor that we are going to get a new Splinter Cell, so pretty cool. Yeah, that would be lame if that's what the whole Ironside at, at the studio actually was. <laughs> if it was just this <laughs> DLC and it's not a new Splinter Cell, but... Looks like everything is pointing to maybe a new Splinter Cell, so fingers super crossed. Yeah. So Walking Dead, you know, um, I, I think the franchise itself is probably seeing some fatigue. At least it is for us. I don't know about others, but the um, Telltale Games series, you know, that really kicked off Telltale Games, games because of how successful it was, uh, has been going on for a while now. Season 2 really didn't take off as much as Season 1. But they have announced that season three and what will be the finale is going to come later this year. And the uh, the artwork for it was really interesting because it shows Clementine having been uh, uh, now all grown up. And the artwork they used was really neat because it looked like the um, the banner or the original artwork for season one where Lee was kind of holding Clementine back when she was just a little kid. So they kind of replicated that with the new poster I thought was cool. I'm not sure if I'll if I'll play this. I actually never finished season two. I started it, never finished it. I've just kind of, uh, I don't know what it is over the past few years. It doesn't interest me as much as it used to. Um, I'm actually looking forward to Wolf Among Us season two more than anything else from Telltale. But um, I do think this is neat. It's cool that Clementine's all grown up. And I hope that Ted Telltale gets back to really producing those kind of AAA, you know, stories that they became known for before they kind of seemingly, um, you know, overextended themselves. Yeah, I mean, there's, as you just mentioned, there was a time where they had way too many games in development, the studio struggled and a lot of internal things that they were dealing with. And um, to your point, I, I, first of all, with The Walking Dead, um, I guess brand in general, the show I lost interest in pretty quick after season three, four or something like that. I think they're at season seven now or something. Um, maybe six. I don't want to quote that incorrect before I piss Walking Dead fans off. But um, I mean, they had a sideshow that came out that was kind of like what happened before. And now, I, as far as the game industry goes with Telltale, I got to season three, I believe, and I have it purchased, installed, but I haven't started it because of the fatigue you just mentioned. So I'm glad they're finally closing it out. Hopefully Clementine gets the closing she needs and is, is deserved with as much people that love her as a character and kind of what's happened. But um, I will probably wait for this one to go on sale, as I have with a lot of Telltale games, with the exception, as you mentioned, uh, Wolf Among Us. So. We'll see what that is, um, and uh, hopefully it's good, but I need to get through season three first. 
Yeah, I think uh, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is season three, is it not? There was season one, two, and the Michonne side. No, there, no, there's actually a season three. Yeah, oh, um, I, I have the disconnect. Oh, you're thing. right, you're right, you're yeah. right. Yeah, there was. Yeah. So, sorry, guys, I uh, said that mistakenly. So this must be uh, four, I guess. Then, right, even though they're just calling it the finale. So, yeah, and it's a uh, weird, or I guess kind of a cool thing to see kind of Clementine grow up for being a, a little girl, and every single season she gets older and older. And to your point, that the big picture that was compared with is kind of the way, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on his name now. What's Lee. the original? Lee, Lee and um, Clementine from the original box art and how she's grown up now. And there's another little girl, which I don't know much about because I haven't played season three yet. But um, we'll see. I mean, like, like I said, I need to get through season three. I don't even know if it was good. And funny enough, when season one and two came out, people were raving about it and saying, you got to play this. Telltale was getting huge. And season three came out. I didn't hear much of anything on it. So um, maybe it's not that good. Maybe it's kind of at the weak point of uh, Telltale development. Yeah, we'll see. So Dragon Quest is a uh, massive franchise in uh, the Asian markets. And it's always been kind of second fiddle to Final Fantasy over here in the West. Um, but we got some good news last week. And that is that Dragon Quest Eleven, the latest game, is coming West, finally. Uh, it came out last year, early last year, I believe, in Japan. Uh, but it's coming west later this year in September for the PlayStation 4 and PC. So shame it's not uh, coming to the Xbox One. But regardless, at least the West is going to get the game at all. So this is, uh, you know, very highly regarded, very highly rated. If you're into uh, Japanese role-playing games, then Dragon Quest is a, a classic franchise. Probably, like I said, probably second only to Final Fantasy. Um, so this is good news. Uh, I love seeing these games come west. I, I like I, I've said before, I'm not into these games as much as I was when I was younger. So you know, I'll probably give it a look. But the fact that it's coming out in September as well, like we talked about, it's kind of ridiculous. So that means we've got Spider-Man, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Spyro, and Dragon Quest Eleven all already confirmed for September. Yeah, and this might be coming into your love for anime or something, <laughs> but <laughs> um, the art style of these games is kind of like iconic in the industry in general. It is considered obviously one of the original JRPGs that we've kind of wanted for a long time. Um, it's dating back to I think PlayStation One and even before that. Um, so it's it looks cool. It's it's been in development for a very long time. The uh, development cycle has been different as far as the studios that have been working on it. So I'm interested to see if it's any good. I hope they don't Nino Kuni 2 it up um, to where it's so different that it really takes away from the franchise that's been developed before it. Another, it, It's a crazy fall coming. So um, if it's great, I might jump on it right away. If it's not, it's going to be another thing that I wait for big time. But the Dragon Quest franchise is another one that's being just all kinds. I mean, the Dragon Quest Builders was kind of silly to me, um, which I wish they would have just made a full game earlier versus that game. But some people love it. So I don't know. <laughs> All right, and then uh, just some uh, good news for a franchise we love is Resident Evil. And, the, you know, the return of Resident Evil last year, Resident Evil 7, kind of going back to its roots of true survival horror. We both love the game. I wrote the review on it for the site. And uh, we heard from Capcom officially yesterday, actually, that the game has surpassed 5 million copies sold, which makes it the fourth best-selling Resident Evil title in the entire series. So if you think about, you know, how long that series has been going now and how big Resident Evil 1 and 2 were... Um, along with four, obviously, uh, I believe this one's slotting in just behind those three in terms of sales. So good news here. Love seeing this. We, I know we talked probably sometime last year, you know, saying that we hope to see this sell well so that Resident Evil 8 um, is kind of done in the same vein. You know, keep that true 
spirit of survival horror in the Resident Evil series and don't take it down the kind of silly action route that some of the later games went into. So, uh, good news. Yeah, I mean, uh, we love the Resident Evil series, the original ones at least. Um, I tried to go back and play the Revelations, which I got through those, and then uh, Resident Evil 6, I just couldn't continue to go through. It was, it was so different, and I wouldn't say it's a bad game. It just takes away from what it used to be. It is cool to see Resident Evil 7 um, kind of uh, start kind of well when it originally released. It slowed down, and then it picked up again. Um, I'd be interested to see if those sales numbers include all the crazy remakes. I mean, how many times has the original Resident Evil been remade? <laughs> I mean, I think we've seen it five, six times. I think 14. So that, 14. 14 is the original. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's been so many of them, and this is one of the franchises that remakes their software so many times. I think one of the ones that we need to see a remake of is Nemesis, because that was actually uh, a pretty good one. And I have not seen a legit remaster slash remake for it at all, actually. So... I'd like to see that. But um, yeah, and then the other thing that's cool is if you have a PSVR, I hear that it's amazing. It's one of the few titles in PSVR that actually plays the way it's supposed to play versus kind of the other VRs that are kind of half-assed. So um, looks cool. Play it if you haven't played it. There's actually some recent patches that came through for the enhanced systems for both Pro and uh, Xbox One X, and they are must-plays. Even if you get scared really easy, it's actually not that bad, but it is bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> not so, that makes sense. I mean, um, some people that I know couldn't get through it, but I got through it pretty easy. Yeah, there, I think I know what you mean. There's some games that are definitely more creepy than Resident Evil 7, um, but it does have some parts that are pretty darn uh, mature and gory. Um, so, But uh, yeah, to your comment about the enhancements, I saw that uh, Digital Foundry did their test of the Xbox One X uh, patch for Resident Evil 7. It runs at native 4K, full 60 frames with like improved shadowing and textures and everything so that's definitely sounds like an awesome way to play it yeah the pro does not run in native 4k unfortunately it's running at 1800p um there is a it is however a steady 60 frames per second and in most of the game the textures look a lot better on the one x as you'd expect with the extra horsepower but it still represents itself pretty well on the ps4 pro so if you just have the ps4 pro haven't played it yet pick it up no questions asked if you have the vr and you've been on the fence about it uh, pick it up, play with someone next to you on the couch, prepare to scream <laughs> on a few areas because I heard it's great. So, yeah, I don't even know if I could get through that, honestly. I kind of want to try it just to see. But, all right, so that's a uh, majority of the gaming news. We're going to talk about PAX East here a little later on our main topic. Uh, a few other updates before we get there, though. So, one piece on from a developer front, and that is that uh, Ubisoft is expanding uh, again. So, they're going to open a new studio in Winnipeg. The director, or excuse me, the producer of Far Cry 5 has been named the director of the studio, and it's going to be a studio that'll head up some of the cross-platform development across all of their major titles. So uh, pretty interesting here, as we, we seem to keep bringing them up lately as Ubisoft and really doing well and, and doing great things. So uh, this looks like just another step in the right direction of uh, development, and if it's another studio that can support these new projects, including Skull and Bones and hopefully Splinter Cell, then uh, all good. Uh, another South Park game, please. No, um, no. Uh, but uh, I think we can move on. <laughs> is it Ubi or Ubi? I always say Ubisoft, and I think I've so, you know I've forced myself to switch, like I have with Mario, <laughs> because uh, Ubisoft is definitive because it's actually just sort for ubiquitous software. So um, mind that, blowing right there. <laughs> so a little a uh, little piece of info or news that you may not have been aware of, but yeah, I, I called it Ubisoft for years, but officially it is Ubisoft. Yeah, 
Well, as we mentioned, I mean, and we've had a bit cast, so I'm not going to talk to it about it before, but they're killing it right now in the industry. They did have a streak of about a couple of years where they were just producing too much and the games would launch broken and then they would kind of fix them after the fact and people come back to them. So with the games that have released recently, Far Cry 5, Assassin's Creed, and South Park to a certain extent, um, they've been pretty awesome at launch without as many bugs. I mean, Far Cry 5 still has some hilarious bugs if you just go online and YouTube them. There's some crazy glitches. But the overall game is really well, very well optimized, um, and it looks looks and plays really well. So you can't complain about it, and I hope that that continues. So with this you know, uh, producer moving on to help with the AAA titles, I hope that means that that's going to be a continuous effort from them. Yeah, me as well. And it's funny you mentioned Far Cry 5 because uh, I was playing it earlier, and I'll talk about this in the now playing. Uh, but there was a funny glitch I had where... Um, I was in this valley and uh, animals too. the two dogs were barking at each other and this cougar comes running down and literally just starts doing circles between them like nonstop, <laughs> like literally just over and over again. I'm sitting here thinking this yeah. cougar is trolling the shit out of these dogs right now. Yeah, um, and it's, it's kind of crazy because like Bethesda, Bethesda is known to be like notorious for just game breaking glitches. There's some, you know. Uh, Skyrim had ridiculous Fallout, had ridiculous glitches. The open world games are just so hard to kind of complete without that many glitches. And for Far Cry 5 to be, you know, not perfect, obviously, but at least it's playable. And I haven't heard of anybody having game-breaking glitches. So they're more funny than anything. Yeah, yeah. And I just realized, you know, as I was kind of listening to myself, I think I said ubiquitous software. I don't know what that is. I meant ubiquitous <laughs> software. Wow. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and correct myself before anyone else does. So I'll put a pin in that one. Yeah. There you go. All right. So one uh, one kind of uh, large rumor to share today, but I uh, I'm not calling it credible at all, and that is the fact that uh, so Rectify Gaming, which is a site, I want to be very clear that we do not endorse in any sense. Um, this is a site that was created out of the fallout of NeoGaf, which was a, a disaster, um, and I won't even get into the whole you know nonsense that existed there, but. Regardless, uh, they are claiming that Microsoft has secured the marketing rights for several AAA third-party games that are coming in the next couple of years and some that we will see at E3, uh, including Cyberpunk 2077, Anthem, Battlefield V, Borderlands 3, um, Splinter Cell, and more. So, you know, if this was true, it would obviously be big. Uh, Microsoft has kind of, in the past few years at least, gone away from securing a lot of these big deal marketing rights. Sony's kind of gotten, I say, the, the lion's share of them. Um, but this would be pretty big. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me really in terms of Anthem and Battlefield V because they have a really good relationship with Electronic Arts. And we saw Anthem on, you know, the uh, Xbox stage last year. But for things like Cyberpunk 2077, Borderlands 3, um, Splinter Cell, you know, I, I guess we'll see. But um, like I said, there is no one else that's citing this other than this site. And who knows, you know, if it's got any credibility. But I guess we'll see here in the next couple of months. Yeah, it's all over social media. And I don't I don't mean from like reputable sites. I mean, from people commenting on it, talking about it, saying, oh, this is coming um, without even talking about the rumor anymore. I think these deals are a lot more important than people think they are. Uh, to the hardcore gamers, you know, people that play everything and own everything, it doesn't really matter to them because they know better. But to the casual gamer, um, having marketing rights to them a lot of the time means that it's only playable on that system. Um, I know a lot of people personally and locally to me that think Call of Duty is only on PlayStation 4. And it kind of just has me, 
scratching my head of like seriously but then when you look at the commercials it really sells it as that is the only place you can play those games and as i see on social media all the time there's numerous people regardless of what company they back that think only cross-platform games are on their playstation 4. so if this has any truth to it or if it actually happens that way um it, i think i'm not sure if it'll be a game changer but it'll let microsoft catch up a little bit in the conversation that's happening but um i think it's a big deal for them to get marketing rights because as the big you know, fanboy uh, argument today is exclusives, exclusive, exclusives, despite them not being the highest selling software right now are going to be kind of important for the industry. So I do expect Microsoft to have a big E3. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to hold. And maybe there's some software that we don't even know about yet. And that usually happens. But if this is uh, actually happening, if there's any truth to it, like I said, I think it will be big for them. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed completely. All right, so let's talk about new releases and what we've both been playing. So not not a lot of releases over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, two big ones we'll just touch on. And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, Far Cry 5 came out. Um, huge, huge release. It's uh, the best-selling launch of the Far Cry series, according to Ubisoft. And, um, you know, people seem to be loving it. Particularly, it's being highlighted on the PS4 Pro and Xbox One X. Uh, you know, the... The whole thing came out, it was running a native 4K on the Xbox One X, and on both systems, it just looks stunningly gorgeous. Some of the screenshots that I've taken and that uh, you know are being shared across social media are really, really impressive. Um, the other one was uh, Nino Kuni, Nino Kuni 2, uh, which you mentioned a short while ago, being rated very well. Um, as you said, a, a few of the hardcore kind of Nino Kuni fans are um, either in love with the new system, like the kingdom building in the game, or they're kind of lamenting the fact that so much was changed and it's very different from part one. So no matter what camp you're on, the game itself seems to be getting, uh, you know, really solid reviews. It's uh, sitting at an 87 on Open Critic right now. So uh, that's out as well. And then uh, lastly, if you're a baseball fan, you know, MLB The Show is kind of the standard uh, bearer for baseball on an annual basis on the PlayStation 4. Uh, the new version is getting, what I've seen anyway, slightly lower reviews than some of the past years. Uh, it's sitting at an 82 on Open Critic right now. So anyway, uh, Bert, why don't you talk to us about what you've been playing over the past couple weeks? Yeah, so I did pick up Far Cry 5. I picked it up at launch. And um, funny enough, I, I'm not in love with it as much as so many other people are just because it's another Far Cry game in a different place with a different story. Um, I got tired of the Far Cry franchise in part four. Um, I didn't even pick up Primal as to how bored I got with four because it's the same thing over and over. However, I am, I am interested in how many people are loving it and it's making me want to give it another try and come back to it and spend more time with it. I only have like two hours into it, so I can't claim that it's a horrible game or an amazing game, but it does look cool and it's given me some time to catch up on backlog. With that being said, my backlog is uh, playing the Arkham, the Ar Arkham games <laughs> um, for Return to Arkham, which is kind of the remasters, or not remakes, of the uh, Arkham series that existed on Xbox 316, PlayStation 3. So, so far I've actually finished Assault um, on at the Asylum, which is uh, just the original one. Um, I've actually uh, went back to South Park, The Fractured But Whole. Um, I'm about five hours into that now, and it's pretty good, but I'm kind of getting the same feeling that I got when playing Far Cry 5 with the first South Park. So if you, if you played Stick of Truth, um, that's for people that only watch like maybe the first 
you know, five, six seasons of South Park. It's all there. It's fantastic. I kind of quit watching South Park a while ago. So a lot of the inside jokes and stuff that I'm seeing in Fractured But Whole, I don't get because I didn't see it on the show. So um, it's really hard for me to recommend the game for me if you don't like South Park and if you didn't really watch a lot of it because a lot of the stuff that happens is, is definitely funny, but you don't respect it as much as you would otherwise. I'm continuing to play um, kind of uh, PUBG, uh, maybe too much. <laughs> um, I feel like I, that game takes away from other software for me, and then after I get tired of playing it for a few hours, I don't really want a game anymore, so I, it, it kind of makes me do that. But I have put some more time into Shadow of the Colossus. It looks great. It plays great. Um, but it, it does have some... Um, it does feel a little dated. Um, the game is very shallow. Uh, it's very empty. Um, it is cool for what it is, but... I have played it all the way through already, so I'm struggling to get through the game all over again. If you've never played Shadow of the Colossus and you like what you're seeing, keep playing. It, it, it's, it just gets better and better. But if you've played already and if you thought it was just great, it wasn't the most amazing thing in the world, I can't recommend it for, for those types of gamers. So check it out. See it at a friend's house. Play a couple Colossi, Colossuses. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but uh, enjoy it. It's, it looks amazing. It's great. So it's kind of one of the fun things I've played on the... Uh, PlayStation 4 recently. Very good. So yeah, talking about Far Cry, I um I did kind of what you did. I got it at launch. I played it for a couple hours, then I put it down for like a week, and then I picked it back up. And now I've been playing it quite a bit. So I've got about 25 hours, I think, into it. I'm about to face the second lieutenant. You know, there's a <clears throat> the head kind of family member. I, I don't want to spoil anything here. Um, and then his three siblings who, you know, are in different regions of the map and you kind of have to work your way to take them down. So I'm on the second one and uh, really exploring the world. I love doing all the little side quests and it, it is a uh, typical far cry in that, you know, all kinds of crazy antics happen. Um, I've seen, you know, my bear run into trucks and send them flying. I've seen, um, like I said, the cougars and the animals just acting wild and, you know, people being taken out by wildlife and all kinds of crazy stuff happening. So the, it can be fun in that aspect and just the sandbox that the game presents to you. So the story itself is kind of interesting. It, it's it's a weird dichotomy of trying to be very serious in one angle and at times and can be very kind of mature. And then, you know, you immediately go back out into the world and you're, you know, shooting animals with a grenade launcher while you've got a bear as a sidekick. It's um, it's really strange in that sense, but uh, it is kind of funny. And uh, like I said, it's gorgeous. It plays really well. And I haven't had any uh, problems or anything like that with the game. So good stuff there. I, um, I've also played a little more Sea of Thieves uh, with a buddy. It's uh, it's kind of funny, you know, we joke about, well, not joke, but there's a lot of discussion around the content level of the game and how it can be a little repetitive right now. And again, it's more of like a really nice sandbox that needs more toys in it. Um, but no matter what, every time I've played the game, I end up smiling and kind of laughing and having a good time. So, um, you know, I, take that as you will. But it is, uh, it is fun, especially when you're playing with other people. And then a couple of the... Um, just Xbox free games or games with uh, Game Pass uh, that were added. So there's a uh, title that, you know, is on all platforms and people really like named Super Hot, which is uh, very unique. And uh, I've been playing that a little bit. It's like this really kind of uh, uh, indie game shooter, which is um, 
I don't know. It's just kind of weird the way it's set up. You know, uh, it's hard to explain, but you should definitely check it out if you can still get it for free, especially. And then uh, a game I wanted to comment on real quick is uh, Late Shift. So this is a game that was added to Game Pass. It came out, I believe, late last year. Um, it's one of those games that we uh, they started making back in like the late 90s. You started to see it when like the CD drives became popular, uh, 3DO and stuff like that. But it's essentially like you're playing through a movie and you just make the decision. So uh, you'll make a decision and the movie will go that direction. It's almost like a choose your own adventure in a, in a movie setting. Um, but it's actually quite good. I'm playing it with my wife and letting her kind of make all the decisions and play through it. And it's not bad. The writing's not fantastic, but it's not bad. The acting's not spectacular, but again, it's not bad. It's uh, it's actually kind of enjoyable. And it seems pretty long as well. I think we have probably a good hour plus into it, uh, and it's still going. It seems like it's still got quite a bit to go. So, um, you know, like I said, that's free to play in Game Pass if you have it. So you may want to check it out if you uh, enjoy those types of things. I got a question for you before we move on. Um, did you play Far Cry Primal? Yes, I did. Is it similar as far as the animals? And, you know, I guess there was saber two tigers and stuff like that. Are the animal mechanics and how you use them the same as they are in Far Cry 5? Kind of similar. Um, so in Primal, it carried over some of the stuff from 4, where, where you needed to skin certain animals or kill certain animals to make different, you know, uh, products so you could hold more arrows or ammo or stuff like that. In Far Cry 5, there's more wildlife, so there's some variation, and there's also fishing and different fish you can catch. Um, but when you skin them, you kind of just uh, you do it as part of a challenge system in the game where it unlocks perks, and using those perks, you can then kind of build up your skill tree. So if you want to be better at melee, if you want to be better with your sidekicks, uh, things like that. Um, so you don't need to, like, the only thing you get from the skins is really money uh, to buy other things. And then, uh, yeah, you can assign sidekicks to your D-pad. Um, you know, I have like Boomer the dog on one, and I usually have either a person or Cheeseburger, who's the name of the uh, bear, <laughs> on the second one, and they just kind of roll around with you. And it's a lot of fun because, for instance, you go to an outpost, and I'll send Boomer running in there, and he'll identify or spot everyone for me. Um, and then, you know, you can kind of highlight individual guys, and I can send Cheeseburger running in there, and he'll jump on a guy. And then all the other people will react, oh, my God, it's a bear, and all hell breaks loose. You know, everyone starts firing and running everywhere. And uh, that's kind of where the sandbox nature comes into play, where it's really funny, and you can just start having a ball. So Nice. Yeah, it's similar. You know, Ubisoft does that a lot, right? They create some mechanics in one title, and then the title that comes out a year later shares it, and they just keep sharing it among all their titles. So, kind of like the drone in Wildlands and the uh, Senu in uh, Origins, right? Oh, yeah. Very right. similar. Very similar. So, all right. So, we were just going to touch uh, on PAX East here, uh, kind of our main topic. So, not a dedicated thing, but PAX East is going on right now in Boston. Um, it's happening, started on Thursday, April 5th, runs through tomorrow, Sunday, which is April 8th. We're recording this Saturday. And, um, you know, I want to talk about some of the other kind of game news that has come out of PAX specifically. So, some of this is going to be more indie game related, as that's a big highlight of the PAX, um, PAX conferences. But we've also gotten some news for some other things. So, Speaking back to uh, Final Fantasy XV, uh, so Square Enix announced that the, just yesterday or the day before it's going to get four more story-based expansions in what they're calling a year two content. So we're starting to see this out of more and more publishers and developers that uh, you know these kind of year two, year three slash content deliverables are coming, which is kind of neat. So four new story DLCs. Um, I'm I haven't played Final Fantasy XV. I'm just it's not a game that. Um, 
I really want to get into anymore, but I know you started it. So um, I don't know how deep or how long these uh, DLCs are going to be, but it is pretty interesting that they're going to continue to expand the game anyway. Yeah, so I've actually, I'm about six hours into the main story. I haven't touched any of the existing DLCs, but I will say that I've heard nothing but good things about the other DLCs that existed. So kind of a crazy game in the sense to where it had a horrible development cycle. I think they restarted the game development like two or three times. Took forever to get done, but once it's come out, I think it's been one of the better received Final Fantasies in recent memory um, without dating back to, you know, the early 2000s and late 90s. So it's really good. I'm looking forward to it. I hope I, I can actually finish it. I have so much going on that it's it's kind of, a, you know, you get stuck in one game that doesn't let you play anything else, and that's kind of what it does. So if you love it, I think this is great news. Yeah, and one of the other things that was mentioned, which uh, I don't think anyone expected, is that uh, Square Enix announced that there's going to be a collaboration between Final Fantasy XV and Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and that it'll be coming soon. So that's all the details they gave, is that it's coming soon. They didn't mention what this is. I don't know if this means, you know, we'll see something uh, Tomb Raider based in Final Fantasy would likely be my guess. I don't think, given just the nature of the Tomb Raider games and, and Lara and the trilogy they're going for, um, I don't know why we would see anything Final Fantasy based in the Tomb Raider game. So, um, yeah, so, so something funny about that is they had a relationship with Assassin's Creed Origins and the way that it worked in there. And funny enough, in South Park too, which is, I guess, um, interesting, the relationship between Square and uh, Ubisoft, uh, or Ubisoft, <laughs> apologies. But what happened in Origins is one of the main characters from Final Fantasy XV shows up in Origins with a brief cameo and gives the, one of the main characters, I'm not going to spoil it for you, a special weapon. And then in Final Fantasy XV, you get like Ezio's costume, you get um, Altair's costume, and a few other ones, and you can actually use them in the game while you're playing. Right. Um, and then in the South Park game, funny enough, um, my main character I know is rolling with Assassin's Creed gear. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of funny just the way all these franchises are mixing in, and it's kind of cool that that happens. And I, I bet it's just the Lara Croft costume or something that comes through, or maybe a gun or something like that. But that's, it seems like that's what's been happening. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see, like, in Final Fantasy Combat that you're using, like, Lara's bow or something. That'd be kind of yeah. funny. It wouldn't surprise me with what's happened already. Yeah. And I don't think Assassin's Creed, even as good as Origins was, can really save South Park. Um, I don't think that's going to do it, to be honest with you. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> um, so one of the games um, that has been in hibernation for years now, um, and I talked about more recently in one of the articles I did for the Games to Watch in 2018, is Below. So Cap Capybara Games... Uh, announced below back in 2013 before the xbox one even came out it was actually part of the uh, xbox one introduction that they did i think in may of that year in 2013 but um this game has been in development for a long time it was kind of shelved a little bit while they worked on other things but it is back it is as i might have mentioned before it's been said to have been a cross between zelda and dark souls which is very interesting it's like a top-down isometric uh game where um you explore through various dungeons and levels, um, but it's supposed to be difficult and very kind of souls design driven. And uh, this has been shown at PAX. It's had a pretty big impression. There's gameplay footage of it up. It looks quite good. 
It is confirmed to be 4K60 on the Xbox One X, and all the footage that I've seen of it looks really, really neat. So I think um, this is a game that's kind of uh, really on my radar, and they have said that it finally will release in 2018. So when exactly, who knows? Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's uh, it's going to be one that takes some people by surprise. Yeah, I think it looks really cool, and it would be cool if this was the um, the game that kind of surprises us. That isn't one of those AAA games that's got tons of press, tons of uh, coming from whatever console that it's releasing on. I always kind of look out for those games throughout the year. I mean, we know that some games are going to be fantastic, or they may fail, and then there's some other games that we just keep on our radar, and this is one of them on there for me. Not as much as you, obviously, but um, it looks really cool from what I've seen so far. So I'm pretty excited to see what it act the final product looks like. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, State of Decay 2 is another one we've talked about a little bit recently, but it's being shown more and more of. I know IGN had kind of the coverage throughout April on it, or uh, March, excuse me. But um, this is one where uh, the original became a an indie hit like you were just referring to. You know, back in Xbox Live Arcade days, it was uh, one that came out. It was a little rough around the edges, but people loved it, and it's developed a cult following. Um, and State of Decay 2 looks to be a much bigger, broader game uh, and much more polished. So the footage had just came out yesterday. They released a PAX East trailer. If you haven't checked it out, it's on our site, but it looks really, really good. And, um, you know, I've talked with a few people I've met um, gaming recently about potentially playing it in co-op and kind of building a settlement together. So I think that's going to be really neat when it comes out. And the fact, again, that it's $29.99 and included as part of Game Pass next month when it releases just makes this, uh, you know, a tremendous, what seems like a tremendous amount of content for the value. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if it's one thing that's about me is I, I didn't care about State of Decay 2, but with the way they've been kind of uh, publicizing it and showing it at different sites and allowing people to kind of get their hands on it and see it, it's got me super interested in it, and I'm going to be giving it a try. I mean, I'm part of Game Pass, so at, at the least I'll download it, play a few games with you guys, see if I like it, and it might be something that is just a new cult-following game. I know the original one already has a massive cult-following. People still play it, and it's already part of Game Pass, so you can kind of check that out to get a feel for it if it's for you or not. Yeah, I believe, uh, you know, many sites you see called the best kind of zombie game of all time. Whether or not people agree with that, I don't know, but uh, we'll see what 2 does, but it looks really good. So, um, kind of still going down the indie path of a title that we've only seen a very little bit, um, and that is Ashen. So Ashen is from Annapurna Games, um, which became famous for what remains of Edith Finch last year. Uh, this is a game that is supposedly Souls-inspired as well. It's funny how many of those games there are nowadays. And we're going to talk about another one here in a couple minutes. But uh, Ashen was shown during the um, ID at Xbox um, sizzle reel at E3 last year in 2017. And uh, looks really interesting. It's a uh, kind of co-op Souls-inspired game. Um, and it looks to be kind of challenging, a very unique art style. And uh, they just released a new trailer today. So when this goes live, you can look for that. We'll put it on the site and you can check it out to see if it's something you may be interested in. Yeah, I just wish these games weren't so hard. <laughs> or at least there was like a, a mode for people that suck at them so we could actually see most of the game and play through it. But I guess that kind of defeats the entire purpose of the game. Um, so I, I've heard about this game. I haven't seen too much on it. But What Remains of Edith Finch is one of the games that I really, really want to play more than anything right now. Might actually do that today. I might go give it a try. But um, yeah, I just wish this game was going to be for me to finish up and actually go through. I have a feeling it's not. So sadness for me. <laughs> well let's 
let's uh, use that as a segue for the next title that uh, has had a big presence at PAX East, and that is Code Vein. So Code Vein from Bandai Namco, I believe, anyway. I'm going off of memory there. Uh, is that Square Enix or Bandai Namco? Code Vein? I thought it was Bandai Namco, but I will check while you're talking about it. <laughs> okay. Um, I hope I was right there. But anyway, big booth, um, big lines to play the game, apparently, and it looks uh, quite good. The feedback that we've seen in several different videos and several different kind of interview scenarios from PAX is that it plays really well. It has a uh, very, very Dark Souls feel that's more um, complex, a very complex kind of battle system. Uh, it's got a cell shaded slash anime art style. So if you're obviously into those things, you know, um, your favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, we'll get to that. I was going to say, if you're into that, it will uh, obviously resonate with you more. For me, who's not into that stuff, the game will have to, you know, overcome that. But, you know, like I love Persona 5, and that's pretty much straight anime. So uh, I think I'll like this one. But the funniest thing, the reason I segue to this one is the. Uh, thing that I've heard nearly everyone say that was interviewed about it uh, in multiple different areas now is it is incredibly challenging, uh, may even be more difficult than Dark Souls. So um, that'll be interesting. Of course, you know me, I hear that and I'm like, all right, give it to me. I'm ready to play it. Um, but I know that, uh, you know, you've enjoyed the Souls games, uh, but you also get frustrated at times with them, too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the funny thing. So Code Vein, funny enough, out of all the Souls games, has me the most excited. And I've heard the exact same thing you just said, that it's harder. I know that um, I think a lot of big channels, IGN, GameSpot, a few of the other big ones, have sent people over to kind of play it. And they said it was really hard in just a short two hours that they played it. So once again, really upset that I'm not going to get to play it because I love anime. And I love the uh, art style that is existing in this game. So Maybe I'll just buckle up and follow a guide, have a side-by-side -side YouTube tutorial on how to get through each part or something. But uh, I don't know. I was really excited about it until I heard how hard it was. So once again, sadness times two. <laughs> yeah, I don't um Was it Bandai Namco, by the way? It was, yep. Okay, good. I'm glad my memory didn't fail me there. Um, but I don't think there's any release date for this game yet. Um, I believe, you know, last year when we saw it, it was 2018, but... Um, we saw that, funny enough, at Microsoft's booth, which was a surprise, or Xbox's conference. Um, so hopefully we get a release date for later this year on that one. Because Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the the tentative release date for it simply says 2018. Not even like December 31st, 2018, which is usually like that placeholder. It simply says 2018. So I don't know when it's actually going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I just hope it doesn't come out after uh, October 26th, because then it's a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so PUBG still one of the uh, games we're playing a lot of, as you said, and uh, still obviously hugely popular. A um, couple of new developments uh, they've talked about uh, at PAX East. Brendan Green was there. And on the PC side, the new um, half-size map, the, so 4 by 4 kilometer rather than the standard 8 by 8 kilometer of the uh, other two PUBG maps, Arangol and Mir uh, Miramar, is Savage. And it is uh, on the PC test servers right now. There's been a lot of feedback on the map, uh, and almost all of it that I've seen anyway has been positive in that the games are a little shorter. They, they're about 15 to 20 minutes to finish. The combat is obviously more aggressive, and it kind of suits the people who are more aggressive because of, uh, you know, there's just more combat. you got 100 players and half the size map. Um, and it supposedly looks really good. So uh, I think that's good news. You know, hopefully they're, they're going to tune that up, get that out for everyone on PC in the... Uh, you know, in the coming weeks or months, and then uh, maybe we'll see it on Xbox later this year or summer. 
And then on the Xbox side, um, they're continuing to kind of fine-tune the game. There's a patch coming next week. And I believe they said that there will be another update by the end of April. And then they've also confirmed just this morning, actually, that Miramar, the uh, you know the desert map, is going to come in early May for the Xbox Game Preview Edition as well. So, good news on PUBG. Seems like you know they're they're staffing up there at Blue Hole and PUBG Core, and uh, hopefully that development timelines on uh, you know their updates uh, speed up so that the uh, Xbox version can get to a finely tuned place, and uh, you know they continue to develop new content for the PC. Yeah, and I, I think that's something PUBG desperately needs at this point. I think a lot of people have been getting kind of tired of, well, for the Xbox gamers, we have one map. So even the PC gamers have kind of mentioned that they'd like something fresh, something new. So I think this is good that it's coming out and it's being tested. Um, so very cool to see. I think it's going to offer some different uh, gameplay tactics for people. So the old camping thing where you just kind of hide in the house somewhere and wait for somebody to come get you or come get them. I think that's going to change quite a bit, but um, I, I'd like anything fresh, anything new, any of the maps to come to Xbox and more optimization. So I can't wait till it gets there. For sure. So a couple more things uh, to touch on. Uh, so Wolfenstein, uh, New Colossus, is being shown on the Switch at PAX. It is, uh, they haven't really commented on the, the detailed specifics that I've seen anyway around resolution, frame rate, etc. But from what I've heard, it is playing rather well, uh, and the transition is pretty good. So I hope that's true. You know, the more people they get to play Wolfenstein, the better. It's a fantastic game, one of our top from last year. And, um, you know, it, it's the type of game that we have not seen on Nintendo systems, you know, for a long time. Um, or even ever, because it is a very violent and mature game. So I think it's great. Get it to a bigger audience, and uh, I hope it's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it looks really good, too. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens when more of it comes out. Yep. And then finally, the biggest news from PAX, and uh, I'm joking, of course, but this is um, one that I like, is that the Jackbox Party Pack 5 has been announced. <laughs> <laughs> and is coming in late 2018. So Our main headline. Yeah, so um, these are really fun games. If you haven't checked out the Party Pack games, they are a blast. You literally have one person that needs to set it up uh, you know, on the console, and then everyone else can just play on any device, whether it's a PC, a phone, or tablet. And, of course, if you have friends over, everyone's got their phone, right? So all you do is you go to a web browser, you log in with the code on the screen, and you start playing. And a lot of the games support you know, four or more people. Most of them support up to eight. And uh, it is a blast. We actually, over Christmas time, played with my son, who is in the Marines and in, in, in Hawaii right now. We basically uh, pulled him up on Skype on a laptop and sat him on the table next to us and had him looking at our TV. And then he just played from his uh, his laptop there in the in his barracks with us. So uh, you can play remotely with friends like that too. It's really fun, and uh, you'll have a good time if you haven't checked those out. So. Yeah, and I think I need to give these a try because we do a lot of those types of games too in our family. Um, so we might see what happens with that. I, it seems really cool. Um, so I don't know. It's something to try out. I think especially, you know, you've got a, a kind of tight-knit group of friends down there in Austin uh, that you hang out with and play games with, man. You guys, if you haven't played these, pick them up. You guys will be laughing your asses off. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, uh, you know, PAX East is still going on as we record this. It's about midday Saturday, so there'll probably be some news we missed out of this bitcast. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll catch up on that on our next, uh, our next recording session. But those are kind of the big things that's been announced so far. And uh, like we said, you can keep an eye on the site. We'll post all the big things there as well. 
But for now, why don't we go ahead and uh, go over to, uh, you know, collectibles and things, uh, anything that we've picked up over the past couple weeks uh, that we want to talk about or share. What do you got? Yeah, so for collectibles, um, kind of a funny thing to even mention. I, I got more Amiibo. Stop it. <laughs> and uh, we, 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 We've talked about this. <laughs> so kind of one of the funny things is we all know and have heard Toys R Us is going under. Uh, they're having kind of like their liquidation at certain sites. Um, I think the only way is Toys R Us is being uh, going to be left in your area is if someone uh, privately buys that one and is kind of running it by themselves. It's no longer going to be uh, run by the big overall uh, company. But what I'm getting at here is Villager Amiibo um, was one of the exclusives that you could only get at Toys R Us. So when I went to Toys R Us, I was really let down at what I saw. There was just crap everywhere. It wasn't really discounted. Some of the stuff that was originally um, on sale, they actually raised the price and then took 5% off of that. So you're actually getting screwed in a lot of their pricing. But the original uh, Villager um, had some messed up eyes, which you can't see. This is the, uh, the second print. Um, and the original one goes for like 150 bucks, like no exaggeration. But uh, with Toys R Us going under, I figured I'd pick this up because I figured that it is going to be kind of um, a commodity for right now until it gets going to another retailer like they usually do. But yeah, so I might just leave it in the box for now. The second one, I'm not gonna, I'm not sure if I'm gonna keep it or not. But it's the Detective Pikachu. Um, <laughs> and as I put this next to my head. It is like as big as my head. It, it's massive. So if I put them next to each other, you can kind of see what they are. It, it's tiny compared. And what Detective Pikachu is, it's actually a, a 2D slash 3DS Nintendo game. Um, and if you get this, you and you get all kinds of extra stuff um, in the game as what Amiibos are designed for, not just collecting. So I picked it up because it was like a uh, kind of a hot pre-order to do at that time. I have seen them all over the place. It's not really having any extra value right now, but I might just keep it around to see if it actually gains any value. I have no idea where I'm going to put it. It's it's too big to fit on my Amiibo shelf, so I might actually just return it at the at the worst. But that's uh, I don't even have a Pokemon Amiibo, which is kind of funny. I don't really care for Pokemon, but it seemed like the good thing to do. <laughs> so that's really why why is he so big? Well, so he's um, he's like a, a almost like a human size in the game. So he's not like, he's not this character. A detective Pikachu is an entirely different character to the original Pikachu. And without getting too nerdy, the original the original Pikachu only says Pikachu. He only says his name. He goes Pika Pika. So uh, that's all he really does. This dude like talks in full sentences, and he's got a full game, and he's like a detective, and he does all kinds of stuff. So it's not Pikachu. It's Detective Pikachu. So, if anyone out there is confused as me right now, um, yeah. yeah, you're not alone. Um, but there's I'm, the uh, the Pokemon and Pikachu lore that you were looking for from season. I'm uh, I'm confused as to why I bought it. To be honest, <laughs> if you're wondering why people are confused, I don't... I'm laughing at the fact that they put a hat on him, doubled him the size. And he's a completely different character. Yeah, he actually he has like a notepad in the game and stuff, so it's it's kind of silly. Anyways, what did you get? <laughs> Let's talk about your stuff. Oh my gosh, I'm not topping that. That's for sure. Um, the only cool thing I picked up recently was uh, Rare has been, you know, promoting Sea of Thieves like crazy. Um, if you weren't aware, uh, no, okay, they um, <laughs> they have a Sea of Thieves store on the official Rare site, which is pretty neat. So they sell obviously T-shirts and things like that, but they've sold some really cool items over the past couple months. Uh, one I really missed out on that I was kind of pissed off about is that they actually sold a grog mug uh, that was wooden with the metal around it, just like it was out of the game. 
um, which is pretty neat, but that's been sold out for a while now. They sell like uh, one of the Sea of Thieves actual gold coins you can get. I don't know if those are still around. But about, uh, I don't know, two months or so ago, I ordered this, which is Tales from the Sea of Thieves. So this is kind of like a, a development art book. Um, I'm kind of keeping the sleeve on it here. But um, what makes this one special is that it is signed by Rare. So several of the developers, um, Greg Mayles, Shelly Preston, Andrew Preston, Mike Chapman, all signed it. <clears throat> and uh, this was very limited, but it was actually not any more expensive than the standard book. So this retails for $29.99, but I think I paid like 24 pounds or something because it's from England. Um, 24 quid, as we say. Um, but it's signed by Rare, so I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, definitely a cool collectible, you know. Even if you're not a huge fan, fan, excuse me, of Sea of Thieves itself, uh, just the fact that uh, Rare is such a legendary kind of development studio and having some of the developers sign this, you know, is is pretty cool. So, anyway, check out that store if uh, you're interested in that sort of thing because they have some cool things out there and they kind of add more um, over time as well. So they may have some new stuff coming down the line. I didn't even catch it, but did you say how much that was? The retail on the art book itself is twenty nine ninety nine. Um, but I think if you go on the store, they were selling the signed one for like the same price. They weren't charging wow. anymore for the signed one. Yeah, it was, seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Have you seen the uh, the special customized Sea of Thieves Xbox One X that they were doing? Oh, uh, we didn't touch on that from PAX East, did they? They did four custom Xbox One X's at PAX East, and one was Sea of Thieves, as you said. It looks gorgeous. It looks almost it's like a Goonies one. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also one for um, uh, PUBG, where they were doing a collaboration of all things with Dead Mouse. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> super weird. Yeah, strange. I know they had Dead Mouse on the set playing, or uh, yeah, playing PUBG with uh, Major Nelson and a few guys yesterday. Um, so they had that one. There were two others as well that I'm forgetting, um, but they were gorgeous. So how so. much? How much would you pay for that customized Cuphead console that they did a while ago? How much would I pay for it? Yeah. Oh boy. You know, I don't know if that's a good question to ask. Probably, <laughs> probably way too much. Although, to I be better fair, not ever see a listing of that. <laughs> yeah, don't put it on eBay for God's yeah. sake. I'll, I'll have to cancel my contract on the new house. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, to be honest, are you talking about the yellow one that had like yep. the, the banner on it? Yeah, I think that was pretty cool. I honestly would have preferred if it was something more artistic, um, like these ones at PAX right now, because they, you know, they're not blatantly just a banner of the game um they're really kind of art artistic looking so uh it would be neat if it had like you know a big cartoon kind of uh mug man and, and cuphead with the devil or something but anyway uh doesn't even exist so why are we talking about it all right so let's uh let's head over to our season reflections um i know that um you have a game here to talk about that we both adored as kids yeah so my reflection of this week um is uh rock and roll racing so a little bit of background on this i believe it released back in 1993 if i remember this correctly because i looked into it a little bit so i knew what i was talking about um and i believe it released uh, 1993 was available on super nintendo and mega drive and, and genesis um, i actually played the super nintendo version i'm not sure about you Ains. i'll let you answer in a second but um, this was like one of my favorite games of the Super Nintendo that is not widely recognized outside of people that played it. So you obviously hear about Mario, Zelda, all those, but Rock and Roll Racing, I spent hours upon hours upon hours going through it. It had an amazing soundtrack. Obviously it had some rock uh, soundtrack from some of the better artists. I think it was only like six. Black, had Black Sabbath. 
Yeah, Black Sabbath, Steppenwolf was there. Uh, I mean, there was some big bands um, that were rocking and rolling, I guess you could say. Oh but my God. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the gameplay is a racing game, as 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 I mentioned, rock and roll racing. And if you played RC Pro Am or what was that RC Off Road Truck game that you play at the arcades with the wheel and the pedal? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's called Off Road. Yeah, they're just called <laughs> Off Road. I thought it was like trucking Off Road or something. So it's the same thing. It's like a top down. And the cars technically are moving, but what you're, the camera is actually following the track. So you got to kind of control it in there. And to me, it was the best one. I mean, you could shoot like missiles and stuff, and um, you could jump with turbos and, and go further. So it was one of my favorite games of Super Nintendo. Um, I don't have a hard copy of it, unfortunately. I have it emulated, and I still, funny enough, will play it probably once a year or something to kind of remember. Um, but to find the actual cart, I think the cart by itself ranges between 30 and 50 bucks, depending on what's going on at that moment. If you want kind of like a, a sealed in box, that's going to be over a hundred bucks. But if at least you have kind of the box and all the contents with the instruction menu, you're looking between 80 and a hundred bucks. So it is becoming harder to get. And as Ains learned this past week or probably for a while now, some of these old carts from Genesis and Super Nintendo are going for obscene amounts right now on um, auction sites, even Craigslist. Because what people are doing on Craigslist now is they go to eBay to get their their uh, value of that cost and they sell it for what they would sell it on eBay, which is kind of unfortunate because they take a hit of around 15 to even 20% sometimes on what they're selling. So they need to take that in consideration, but kind of hard to find in Craigslist, but if you can find it on eBay, if you're really looking for it, and if you have an emulator of some sort, check out the game. It's a lot of fun. I think it's still fun today. Um, in my opinion, I still have fun with it today, but it might be more of a nostalgia point of view. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it is playable today, I, or at least, you know, speaking from my terms, but it was a fantastic game. It was kind of like the 16-bit version of uh, RC Pro-Am. It kind of played like that, and um, yeah, fantastic game. But yeah, to your point about those, those classic cartridges just going for obscene amounts, there was a game called Knights of the Round uh, for the Super Nintendo obscure game, um, but it plays kind of like, uh, you know, modern-day um, Dragon's Crown, you know, one of our Golden Axe, one of the sides side scrolling beat em ups and there was an auction on ebay currently going i looked yesterday and it was at 170 dollars and still going on bids um for that game and i'm just like this is crazy you can't i don't know you know those people who built those uh, 8 and 16 bit collections you know 15 20 years ago and have hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of games man they are sitting on gold literal gold mines right now um it's crazy actually worth more than gold if you think about it from a weight perspective but <laughs> that's, that's go ahead sorry no you're good um so funny enough uh, again leads right into what i just did so i actually just picked up one of the classic games that i've had my eye on for a while uh my game is uh another obscure title many people won't know it but it's for sega genesis which uh, i was a sega kid i've mentioned before as, a, as growing up genesis was fantastic and i loved role-playing games at the time so this is uh, Dungeons and Dragons Warriors of the Eternal Sun. So this is one of the few D&D games that came to Genesis. I don't know if there were others. It is a um, it wasn't a fantastic game even when it released, but it was just <laughs> one that uh, it was just one that was memorable to me. Back you got to keep in mind back in the 8 16 bit eras, you know, the Japanese role playing games, so Final Fantasy, the Dragon Warriors, they were the kings, especially Final Fantasy. Um, Fantasy Star is another one. You know, there was the Shining in the Darkness series and Shining Force, um, all fantastic games. But on the Western side, a lot of those Western RPGs were PC based. So you had the Ultimas, you know, the, those classic games on the PC side. There, 
there were some that came to consoles, but they were not really designed that way. And so the ones you see like this, like Warriors of the Eternal Sun, um, there was actually one that's, again, probably 150 bucks if you can find it now on Turbo Graphics, a D&D game. I forget the, the specific name of it. Um, Might and Magic for the Sega Genesis was another one. So those games did come out, long story short, um, but they weren't, you know, they weren't designed that way. So they're more isometric. They're very deep. They have a lot of systems working behind them. They just didn't play as well, generally speaking, as the Japanese ones did. So, but anyway, um, I got this copy. Um, it's really neat because it's complete. It's mint, uh, cartridge, manual, and it actually even has the hint book which you had to buy aftermarket. This did not come with the game. In fact, it says right on the back of the thing, hint book with detailed maps and survival tips sold separately. So this actually usually goes for about 20 to 30 bucks by itself. Um, this goes for another 20 or 30 bucks. I got both for 19. So I don't know how I stumbled upon that, but um, good pickup. Is yeah, it playable? Yeah. Is it playable today? Probably not. Um <laughs> <laughs> not at all no. I'll probably play it and get some nostalgia out of it but if you're just someone who's going back to play old games there's thousands of other ones you'll want to play before this one so um, but yeah anyway cool pick up there and I'm, I'm kind of been on the hunt lately for some of those 16-bit games that was my favorite generation so I've got that nostalgic the nostalgic goggles on lately and looking for those games that I want to get from my youth again but yeah, so funny, funny quick story that I saw on social media this week, which is interesting as we're talking about pickups, was remember that game Cool Spot back in the day? Yeah. For, uh, I actually rented it. Genesis as well. You what? It was on Genesis as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I actually rented it back in the day um, at my local grocery store, which was awesome back in the day when you could do that. <laughs> and um, I think it was a very limited game. You could only get it through certain specific ways. Um, and it was also available on Super Nintendo. And uh, there was a buddy of mine um, who actually picked up a sealed-in-box version of it. Um, and it was a, a PAL version. Um, and I think they got it for, like, I think $150. But I think its, re it's retail value is something like 400 So to kind of give you an idea, I mean, these are getting crazy. Um, the, uh, the carts, the, the current generation that is just insane is the Super Nintendo Genesis and then older than that if you can get stuff in boxes. But if you are a collector and you are inter and wanting to get what the upcoming collection stuff is, it is the Sega Saturn and uh, N64 stuff that is yeah. in boxes. And some of that stuff is already uh, really expensive. Um, so if you are looking into getting into that retro collecting, that's what you want to start with. Don't I mean I guess you could kind of start with Super Nintendo Genesis, but I don't. I, it has to reach a ceiling at some point, in my opinion. I don't know when it's going to get there, but when you're paying a hundred and two, three, four hundred dollars for a game just by itself, um, it can get kind of silly. Uh, I mean, you can yeah. no longer complain about console costs anymore at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing, right? You get people buying four hundred dollar single one off games and then say the Xbox One X is too expensive. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's just that it's gotten to the market's gotten to the point where people like us who are a little older now, making more money, have you know want to go back and revisit their childhood. They're just willing to spend the money to get these games back, and they're not games that are ever reproduced. A lot of these games were made in limited runs for six months a year on these platforms, and a lot of them have also not been emulated well. You know, you can get them. Um, but they're not ones that are regularly re-released or anything like that. So I think even with as many emulators there are now, you know, there, you can play any Nintendo, you can basically play anything from those eras. I have most of these games on a modded Xbox, um, but that's not the point. 
You know, it's just not the same as having the real thing. So, yeah, I mean, you were talking about this week and having that actual cartridge in your hand, or even as you just mentioned with the instruction manual and the hint book, I mean, that's massive. And sometimes nostalgia is worth more than money. So I get it. I just think it's, I mean, I cannot fathom spending 200 bucks on a cart right now with, with a case. It's just crazy. But like I said, sometimes it's more important. You know, the one thing, just to, to close us out here, um, I don't want to keep going, but the the one thing you mentioned about, you know, getting the boxes in good shape, that always drove me crazy with Nintendo. Yeah. They always use cardboard boxes. Um, and Turbo Graphics is the same way because I was looking through some of that stuff recently and trying to find a good box on a Turbo Graphics game, especially some of the Impossible. rare ones. Yeah, yeah super expensive. Um, whereas, you know, I always love the Master System and the Genesis. These hard cases are are like, they're solid as can be funny enough it's it's so stiff that i'm so used to like the xbox one and playstation 4 um these things are like i mean just opening it this thing's like you know a a freaking gun case compared to those games so it's hilarious but it it makes getting the boxes like this much easier for sega games um the only thing you usually have to check with the sega games are the manuals make sure they're in good shape so Giggity. Uh, what, one last thing that I was going to say um, is if you are a Neo Geo cro- uh, collector, like if you look, they make hard cases like the Genesis cases, third party that you can get that has amazing art that you can put your Neo Geo cart inside yep. of there. Um, and it's worth every penny if you are a big collector. I mean, Neo Geo games, uh, I've seen some over $1,000 just for the game. Um, so not even the console. The console can be more than that sometimes. So don't start with collecting Neo Geo as your first retro. <laughs> You're going to go broke. Yep. So I mentioned before that I used to be a big Neo collector as part of the whole Neo Geo crew uh, website. And uh, yeah, the thing you mentioned about this hard case is funny enough, I still have a couple of them. What the Neo guys do is the AES versions of games come with actual cases because of the home versions, right? But the MVS version, which is the arcade version carts, uh, they're cheaper to get because they made more of them. So what the guys do is they buy the MVS cart, but then they make a custom case for it to make it look like the home console one. Um, so I, I used to do that. Uh, like I said, I still have some of the shell cases, I think, stored away somewhere. Um, but yeah, ne- you make me sad talking about Neo Geo. Uh, just look up Metal Slug, A- AES, um, and look up a US version of it. Uh, that or Metal Slug 3, which I actually owned at one point in time. I think I paid about 350 bucks for it. Uh, they go for Metal Slug Three goes for two to three thousand. Um, Metal Slug One, the U.S. version in AES form, can go over five thousand for one game. Yeah. It's just it's bonkers. So, all right, we've uh, we've turned this into the retro gaming podcast. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll go ahead and close out. The one thing I did look up while we were chatting is about those uh, PAX East um, Xbox One X consoles. So it was um, PUBG and Sea of Thieves. The other two were State of Decay 2 and Ashen. So if you want to see some really cool looking consoles, just look up Xbox One PAX 2018 consoles and you'll you'll find a link to them. The Sea of Thieves one is just stunning. I wish uh, I wish you could buy it. If you want a chance at winning it, the Xbox Twitter account is actually doing the giveaway for those consoles as well as a big like Xbox One X home theater thing uh, all you have to do is go on twitter and retweet their official tweet about it so uh just a heads up there if you want a very very lottery like chance of winning one of those yep <laughs> all right let's go ahead and close out episode 23 it's been fun guys um 
as always, you know, really appreciate the listens. We've seen a lot more people tuning in to the audio version of our podcast lately, which is fantastic. So just want to thank you very much. I did want to say we're currently on iTunes and SoundCloud. And, uh, you know, you can obviously get it through third party apps because we publish the RSS feed for the, the audio piece. Um, we have set up Google Play as well. So starting with this episode, you'll see a Google Play link, which we'll make sure is on our site uh, when we put this up. As always, check us out on Twitter. I'm Portia Power. Bert is Treb underscore SG. And uh, Season Gaming, of course, you can follow that Twitter account for your daily news or just stop by the site. And we have a uh, Facebook group, uh, a closed group that's just for video game chat among members. Um, it's Season Gaming. Go ahead and uh, join up if you'd like to do that. It's... Um, it's moderated. There's no shenanigans, no fanboys, no trolls. It's just chatting about video games and on all platforms and the love of them. So feel free to join us on there as well. Bert, anything you want to close out with here? No, just keep a look at our YouTube channel. I mean, we have different forms of, uh, of content, I guess. If you're more of an audio person, you might be looking for podcasts. That'll be probably better on the uh, podcast type of listening. iTunes, as Ains mentioned, SoundCloud, things like that. If you're looking more for videos, we're kind of looking for ideas and stuff to put more videos on there that um, are new content for you. Recently did a PlayStation 4 controller battery replacement. So as you may or may not know, PlayStation 4 controllers have internal batteries, and they go bad within a year or two. Um, so we simply got a stronger battery, replace it. It's working out really well. So I did mention I would have kind of feedback on how it's doing um, because the battery has gotten really mixed opinions on uh, on social media and reviews on Amazon and eBay. And it's holding up really well. So I, I've already uh, been playing about eight or 10 hours with the controller, not even low battery yet. So good so far. We'll see how it goes. Excellent. So thanks again for listening and we will talk with you soon.